You're listening to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. I love to run, period. You can always run faster. Forever, you're going to feel something. You're going to run into roadblocks, but that's also going to teach you how to handle things in life. I don't think we want to be like rocks where we're not affected by anything. It's not maybe a physical thing, but it's a mental thing. There's like two voices in me, alpha and beta. Really trying to do is just keep moving forward. Every single runner knows what that means. My life has a purpose, and maybe it's not what I thought it was going to be. There were times when I didn't think I would be able to come back. There's a lot of people that had different gifts, and they don't use it. I think if we all use our gifts, we could do something really special, not for ourselves, but for our family, if we're really good. We can do something for our community, wherever we live. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's your host, Mario Fraioli, and we are back with an old school AMA episode. I'm going to take listener questions that you submitted over the past couple of weeks. I think we've got everything in here from training related questions, I think something in there about inspirational stuff. Yeah, books, uh, lighthouses in my life. I mean, it was a very good mix. On the other side of the mic for this one, as always, is my right-hand man, Chris Douglas. Chris, I mean, you've helped me with the intros for the last several episodes of Mm -hmm. the podcast, but it's great to be doing another AMA, which we'll proceed with just a little catch-up first. Yeah, man. Um, How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Let's talk about you. I mean, as of this recording, you're coming off of 50K last weekend with your Low Tide Boys teammate and training partner, Chipper Nicodemus. Yeah, we're ramping up for another bid at the World Championship in Sweden in September. So that's exciting and also terrifying um, now that we know exactly what we're getting ourselves into. Um, So yeah, we're just doing some extra long training days and nothing like a super hilly 50K in the beautiful Marin Headlands to... uh, (laughs) To just sort of start dialing things in, communication-wise, training-wise, nutrition-wise, and all that. You two did the World Championships last year, and it was your first time at that event. And I know it surprised you in a lot of ways. And through that experience, coming into this year, you're returning to the World Championships. What were some of your biggest takeaways from that and things that you're working on in training right now to better prepare yourselves? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest takeaway is, you know, with our own podcast, we were obviously having guests on, peppering people with Mm -hmm. questions to be as prepared as possible. And we definitely were as prepared as possible and probably were punching above our above our weight class a little bit just from all the knowledge we we acquired from folks. But it's one thing to hear it, but it's one thing to have boots on the ground. And when people are telling you, Oh yeah, the first two islands are super treacherous and really scary and really, really hard. And you'll never see anything like it anywhere in the world except there. You're like, yeah, yeah, okay. I've done hard things. I know what this is like. <laughs> but then you're on there, you're like, oh, damn, <laughs> like this is actually, this is this is a challenge. And it was um, it was such a test that I think going into it this year, we are better prepared just almost like emotionally for it, um, for the ups and downs and, and just for um, the level of difficulty that we're going to be facing. Yeah. I mean, you've had the privilege of picking the brains of numerous experts in the sport, but experience really is the best teacher that <laughs> totally. you can have. Totally, totally. Yeah. And it's and it's it's also like just super epic. I mean, it's this quest that, you know, very few people have had an opportunity, very, very few people even know it exists. <laughs> And very few people have had an opportunity to do it. Yeah. I mean, the race is, you know, Explain 14 it. years yeah, old. Explain it, yeah, for our listeners. Um, it's basically point to point in the Stockholm Archipelago, 75 kilometers total with 10 kilometers of swimming and, um, you know, 65 kilometers of running, all mixed up over 21 islands. So one island will be 500 meters and then you have a, you know, kilometer swim and then a two-mile run or, or something. And it just, it just, it's relentless, just all the different trains. It's never flat. It's always up and down, left and right. Got to keep your wits about you. So mentally, it's a really tough challenge. And, and yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. You know, this race hasn't been around that long, but, you know, last year I was literally the first Puerto Rican ever to, to tow the line there, which, you know, no one cares except for me, but it's just kind of of wild to be the first at anything, you know, nationally anyway. So, um. So yeah, it's it's just but it's an amazing experience. It's like 
I'm sure it feels if you're really into triathlon, getting to do Kona. Mm -hmm. It's next level ultra endurance is is what it is i mean oh, yeah. speaking for myself as a land animal i uh, <laughs> i mean about the only time i'm ever in water is when i'm showering um at night it doesn't appeal to me because i think i'd just get totally eaten alive by it but thinking about just the terrain that you're on i mean it, it's pretty wild terrain i mean 65k of running on its own through that type of terrain is yeah. super challenging never mind interspersing it with periods of swimming in not calm water and not nope. warm water by nope. by any stretch like how long did this thing take you guys last year so it took us 10 hours and 20 minutes, which by all standards was a, was a legit time. I think um, the people that were, that were rooting for us, you know, along the way, they were like, oh yeah, you guys are, this is, you guys, you know, represent it or whatever, which, which was definitely our goal. I mean, our goal was to have fun, stay upright, not get injured, really enjoy the day and just try to take it all in. Like, like we're in Disneyland because yeah. for a lot of, for us, you know, with the show, it's we knew that the race report that we do after every race is something that people listen to. And this one in particular, I mean, this is our most downloaded show. This is essentially the World Championship race report just to hear about all the carnage. But um, we wanted to kind of try to remember as much of it as possible. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, it's crazy. I mean, even even the whole thing is ridiculous. Even the water, because it's so far north that it isn't as salty as the water that most people are used to it. It almost tastes like slightly salty, like lake water. Um, so which is just, even that's just totally bizarre. And there's like jellyfish everywhere. It was, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it was an amazing experience. And I don't know if we're going to keep going back every single year and try to turn, may turn into some streak, but, but yeah, going back a second time, feeling like we had unfinished business. It's like, all right, now our eyes are wide open. We definitely felt like we left some time on the course. So for this year, um, we'll try to improve on our time. Uh, it was also a lovely day, so it might not be as lovely a day, and you just have to take it for what it is. Um, but yeah, we think that um, we'll definitely be better prepared, even just physically, but also just mentally for, for the big day. Yeah, well, as your friend, I'm excited to follow along. Cheers. I mean, we're also neighbors, so I see you and Chipper out <laughs> training all the time. I know how much goes into this. I mean, you're both dads. You both work full-time. You both have supportive families who allow you to do this. And I'm just like, I, I mean, it's not for me um, just to really stamp that home, but <laughs> I, I really am inspired by it and the example that the two of you set. Well, thank you. Well, we'll get you to be a little bit more amphibious. That's uh, that's our goal. For yeah, you, good so. luck. My my wife grew up swimming and she is yet to be successful in that <laughs> endeavor after 12 years. So I wish you the best. Um, well, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, super looking forward to it. Um, now, let me ask you, uh, did someone just casually jump into a 5K? <laughs> Yeah, but you can casually jump into a 5K. It's 5K. Um, you know, it's, it's over in a matter of, of minutes. I mean, there was no water involved. It was asphalt underneath my feet. I mean, there was a little hill in the middle of the course, but, you know, certainly not you know, 6,000 feet of elevation gain like you just did for this 50K uh, this past weekend. But, yes, I did race a 5K in Golden Gate Park um, this past Saturday. Was it on the road or was it more of like a, like a cross-country? No, this one was on the road, yeah. It started... Um, at Peacock Meadow and just ran down JFK Boulevard around Stow Lake. It was called the Stow Lake Stampede, put on by the Impalas oh, nice. racing team, big fundraiser for them. They also give a percentage of the proceeds to Back on My Feet, which is a great charity, um, mm -hmm. not just here in the Bay Area, but around the entire country. And then you head back uh, and finish where you started. So it's essentially an out and back with a little loop around Stow Lake. And there's just this like punchy little hill on the backside of Stow Lake that you go up and then... Um, if you play your cards right, which I did not, uh, it can be a very fast mile on the way back because you get this nice little downhill that drops you back onto JFK. And as was the case this Saturday, it didn't help me much at all because I made some strategic errors. You have a nice tailwind coming off of the coast to push you home. But um, I had a lot of fun with it. I mean, this is a USATF PA series race, so it brought out a lot of runners in the area who are taking part in that series. It was a very, very competitive master's race. Uh, Chikara Omine, who has just been like lighting it up over the past year and is one, I mean, I got to have a conversation with him. He's just one of the most interesting runners uh, that I've, I've ever met. Runs like 200 plus miles a week as a kid. Oh my uh, races everything from the mile to ultra marathons. He ran 15 
12 and broke the master's course record by 10 seconds. Pretty, pretty impressive performance. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it wasn't 50K, but it's always interesting to, uh, you know, as, as, a, as a fan of yours, mm-hmm. of your athletic prowess, it's always interesting to, to like to read a newsletter. It's like, oh, I jumped into this 5K and I was like, all right, let me look up this time. Let me see how he did. But it sounds like it wasn't, um, so there was some misfiring in terms of strategy on that one. Yeah, I think I went into it with a little false bravado. And I, I've felt pretty good in the last, I think it's been seven weeks since Boston and I've mm-hmm. been running, but... My volume is way down. I haven't done many workouts, but I felt like I still had some good fitness in the tank. But the 5K, it's just such an intense event that if you don't have the type of fitness to meet those demands, it will expose it to you. (laughs) And I mean, the truth is I went out too fast. I put myself into debt a mile into the race, hit that little hill we talked about on the backside of still lake and it crushed my legs and my breathing at that point was very erratic not in a worrisome way just in a i went out way too hard Mm -hmm, type mm -hmm. of way i couldn't recover from that and i slowed down like 16 18 seconds a mile the last two miles which i mean yes i quote unquote blew up from five minute pace to 518 pace which i know it's all relative most people like i love to blow up to 518 (laughs) pace but i mean the truth is i I blew up, you know, yeah. and I, I shouldn't have went out that hard. I should have I should have backed it off five to ten seconds at the mile, which would have made a huge difference, honestly. Um, I think I would have been able to sustain that through two miles and then use the course to my advantage the mm-hmm. last mile and bring it home a lot harder and probably, you know, ultimately, I probably would have finished 20 to 25 seconds faster than I, I did, but no complaints. I had a great time. Um, it's an awesome community event. I warmed up with a couple of my athletes and friends, cooled down with some of my teammates. And, um, it was just a fun, fun morning in the park. I mean, the great thing about a 5k, it's over just like that. Mm -hmm. And you know, it feels terrible in the moment when that's, when that's happening. I mean, it's like keeping your hand on a hot stove and just waiting for someone (laughs) to turn it off. Um, but then they do, and you know, you feel, you feel it for a few minutes, but you're not really, at least speaking for myself, like not that beat up the next day. I mean, you can get on with your afternoon and, uh, I mean, even beyond the after, I mean, the race was over in less than 20 minutes, right? right so it's right, like, right. I wasn't out there all day. I was done before 9am. I had the rest of the day to, you know, just kind of do whatever. And the next day, I mean, I felt a little tired, but I wasn't all that beat up. And, um, I like that. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I like every aspect of that, just the, the intensity of it. It's a race from the word go. I mean, especially on a course like that, you can see your competitors around yeah. you. I mean, I, I, came up with that and I thrive off of it. And I love being in that environment. Um, and I also love that it just doesn't take all day. Um, if I want for sure, if I wanted to, which for the record, I don't, I could race another 5k this weekend. (laughs) It wouldn't be that big of a deal, but I'm just going to take some time to get my feet back under me, get back into a consistent training routine and, you know, look ahead toward the fall cross country season. Yeah. I mean, and I think like if we can get a little philosophical about running for a sec, it's, it's kind of the idea that's like, Hey, every race is an opportunity um, and every race is going to be different. So even yeah. though you've raced a ton of five Ks, right? Hey, this one kind of called you out a little bit. That's another, you know, feather in your hat, arrow in your quiver. Be like, all right, that's just another data point that I can um, like learn and grow from. Really, yeah. All it is is a, a marker in place and time. And mm-hmm. quite honestly, it was the kick in the ass that I needed to get excited about training this summer. And it's going to keep me honest for the next few months as I get ready for the fall cross-country season, which is another series of, you know, 5K to 10K type of races. So I'll have many more opportunities, I hope, to compete and Mm -hmm. not make tactical errors. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, should we shout out our sponsors before getting to uh, the main event here? Yes, we should definitely do that. A big thank you to my longtime partners at Tracksmith. They've been super supportive of my work since... I mean, almost the very beginning, 2016. Really, I'm very grateful for this partnership. They recently released their new spring collection. It's got a colorful refresh of some of my favorite training staples. I mean, the big one for me right now is the Twilight Tank. I love to race in that shirt. I also like to just do speed workouts in that shirt. It's perfect for spring heading into summer. It's lightweight. It's super breathable. I've got it in a few different colors and styles. 
I call it my home jersey because I have one that says Boston across the chest that I wore at the Boston Marathon earlier this year. But it's just a very versatile piece of apparel for fast workouts or racing. Check it out at tracksmith.com slash Mario. I mean, there's plenty of other great pieces as well. We've talked ad nauseum about the Alston half tight, um, the, you know, Harrier long sleeve, which is getting a little too warm for that, but now they have a short sleeve version, which is awesome. I've been running in that a little bit. Um, Tracksmith just, I think makes the best running apparel that you can buy. They just do an amazing job celebrating the culture and history of this sport. And last thing I'll add before giving out some URLs and discount codes, that sort of thing. This summer is going to be the Tracksmith Twilight 5000 series. I think it's taking place in eight cities nationwide. And in each location, there's two events. I think there's like a June, July event, and then usually one in August. I helped pace the ones in San Francisco last year. I will be at the San Francisco event and Oakland event this summer. I don't know if I'm going to race or pace. Probably likely that I'll I'll just pace a couple of heats. Um, but they're, they're great. I mean, I don't care if you're trying to finish your first 5K, break 30 minutes, break 25 minutes, break 20 minutes, break 15 minutes. I mean, they just had heat starting from like 6 p.m. all the way till 9.30. And there was something for everyone. People stuck around. There's music. Um, it's just, it's, it's, a track meet, um, and with a one event track meet, but I, I can't encourage you to go enough. I mean, just an awesome environment, whether you're taking part, whether you're there to cheer, check out tracksmith.com slash Mario. The full schedule is there. And if you're up for it, it's a great opportunity to work on your speed. And if you're going to buy any apparel on tracksmith.com, uh, if you're already a Tracksmith customer, you can use the code Mario Give. That's M A R I O, and then Give G I V E, all caps, and you can get free shipping on your next order. And five percent of your purchase will go to support the Friendly House in Worcester, Massachusetts, which is an organization that is near and dear to me. And if you're a new Tracksmith customer, you use the code Mario New. That's M A R I O. New NEW, all caps. You can save $15 on your first order of 75 bucks or more. I love it. I love it. Let's shout out our next sponsor, Gooder. Gooder, another longtime partner of the Morning Shakeout. We'll call them the official shades of the Morning Shakeout. I mean, I just love these sunglasses. They don't bounce. They don't slip. They're polarized to protect your eyes. They come in a wide range of styles and fun colors. I mean, I'm a pretty boring guy, so I stick with the OGs. I like Mick and Keith's Midnight Ramble. That is, you know, my favorite. Um, But most of their shades are 25 to 35 bucks a piece. They've got, I mean, again, like whole, like slew of colors and styles, fun names. Um, Check it out at gooder.com slash Mario. That's G-O-O-D-R.com slash Mario. If you enter the code Mario15, that's M-A-R-I-O, all caps, 1-5, when you check out, you'll get free shipping on your next order. Your face will thank you. That's what they say. Your <laughs> face will thank you. And I can tell you, your face will thank you. I mean, I wear these running. I wear them to walk the dog. I have a pair in my car. Um, I mean, they're, you know, they're great. And I don't know about you. I lose sunglasses all the time, which is, I mean, sucks. The worst feeling in the world. But I don't feel as bad about losing a pair of gooders because they're easy enough to replace. For sure. For sure. So let's get into this AMA. But before, we have a programming alert. Um, the show is going to be taking a summer break. And this is going to be our last pod until August? Till August, yes. I believe the next episode of the podcast will be almost exactly two months from now. August 14th is when I have it slated for. But we're going to take a break through June and July just to reset, recharge a little bit. And then we'll come back in the fall with somewhere between like eight and ten episodes between mid-August and the end of the year. Awesome. Stay tuned for that. Why don't we get into uh, these AMA questions? Hit me with your best shot. All right. So first question is from Jeremy. He asks, who are your lighthouses in your life? And by lighthouse, he's thinking of people who inspire you to be more like them in some way and have shown you guidance in your journey, even if they don't know it. I'd be curious to hear about your lighthouses and your running journey, your professional life, and your journey as a human being. So, Man, that's a big first yeah. question. So like uh, Gandhi? It's <laughs> a great question. I mean, the biggest lighthouse in my life, sadly is no longer with us here 
on earth, but my paternal grandfather, my nono, Stefano Fraioli, um, my best friend from the time I was a little kid. I mean, I spent more time at his house, um, sitting on the porch, working in the yard, playing sports in the driveway, just hanging out with each other than I did even at my, my own house. Um, and, you know, he immigrated this country in 1966, not speaking the language, but wanted to create a better life for our family and worked his butt off. I mean, just the immigrant mentality came here and took whatever job that he could, not even job jobs. I mean, mm-hmm. I learned actually when my, my Nana passed away in 2020, just how many jobs he worked. I mean, he was you know, doing laundry at the state hospital, flipping pizzas at a restaurant, cleaning apartments whenever he could. And I never got to witness all of that because I came many years later, but that work ethic was instilled into my dad. And I think he's instilled it into me. And I mean, because of his efforts, I do have a great life. You know, I, I grew up with a lot more than he ever had, than my dad ever had. And I, for one, will never lose sight of that. Um, spending the amount of time with him that I did, I admired just how simple his life was. Um, he he worked, he spent time in his garden, he spent time with the people that he cared about, and really just didn't give a shit about much else. And, I mean, he was never a, a rich man, but he never, you know, never wanted for anything. And for me, I mean, that that's my ultimate lighthouse. I mean, that's what I want in my own life, to get to a point where I've got everything that I need and that I want, and I can help create better opportunities for those who come after me. I mean, don't have kids of my own, but certainly have family members, nephews, um, just other, other people who are like family to me. And I really want to try and live in in that way and emulate him as as best I can. So I mean, he's my he's my ultimate lighthouse in in life in general. And I may leave it at that. I don't know that I have other lighthouses. I mean, sure that I do in in other areas, but I mean, that's he's the he's the one I keep coming back to. I mean, I have a tattoo for him on my right arm. Um you know, is is just a a reminder of of you know what I what I'm aiming for in yeah. life, and um, I think that's my answer to that question. It's a good answer. It's a good answer. Um, our next question comes from Paul C. And he asked, you probably answered this question many times before, but with new books always coming out, I wanted to know what your favorite running related books ever and why. And as a follow-up, what other running-related books would you recommend? And finally, what book or books unrelated to running have enlightened you? Another great question. <laughs> big questions, this, this, this AMA episode. As you ask it, I'm, I'm literally looking at my bookshelf and all of the running titles that I have on, on these five shelves. I mean, I've got, you know, there are fictional books here, um, once a runner, which had a huge impact on me in high school as I was just getting into the sport and getting excited about it. That's by John L. Parker Jr. And I mean, it's like I've, I've read and reread that book so many times. And even, even though it's fictional, it does follow, you know, Quentin Cassidy's journey through college and a little beyond and just the relationship that he had to competitive running. And there were aspects of it that really, resonated with me and I'll still quote from time to time in very specific instances. Um, so, I mean, that's just one that hit me in my, my formative years, um, that really resonated. Another one that I came across during that time looking at it right now is running with the legends by Michael Sandrock. I can't remember the exact publication date, of that book, but it's a series of profiles of world-class athletes in, 
you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, Bill Rogers, Frank Shorter, Rosa Mota, um, Kip Kino's in there, Arturo Barrios, Joan Benoit Samuelson. Um, I love biographies. I love reading about people. I remember each, I haven't opened that book in a while, but I remember each profile had sample training weeks oh, nice. from all of these athletes. So I remember reading that in high school and just trying to learn as much as I could about how good runners trained. And I mean, that left a, an indelible impression upon me as, at a young age, but I also just, just liked reading about how these athletes got into the sport. And I mean, everyone gets into running for different reasons. And even though these were world-class athletes, it just, um, helped to instill in me at an early age that we all have different entry points. Some of us have very similar mm-hmm. entry points and I've, I've always been fascinated in that. So, I mean, that's another older, but influential book. How about books that are sort of unrelated to running? Oh God. Um, so many, I mean, outside of the realm of running. Um, these are books that did not mention running explicitly, but I think a lot of the lessons contained therein could be applied to running or other areas of life, but really anything by Paulo Coelho. Um, mm. I really just love him as an author. The Alchemist is one of my favorite book books. He has another one called The Pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a line in that one that goes something like, when you feel like giving up, remember why you held on for so long in the first place. And I think you could certainly apply that to difficult moments in running, but I think you could apply that to difficult moments in life, whatever pilgrimage you're on, whether it's as an athlete, whether it's in one of your relationships, whether it's a professional pursuit, uh, you name it. So I, I just really like his writing style. I think he's an incredible author and he's, he's full of wisdom. So I'd say, I wouldn't say anything by Paul Coelho because I haven't read all of his books, yeah. but let's just go with The Alchemist and The Pilgrimage uh, as as the first two because those are coming to mind it's a fine right answer. now. Another one that is more of a business book than, than anything else, and it's got a an interesting name. It's called The Year Without Pants. And okay. <laughs> the guy who wrote it, his name is Scott Birkin, and... He worked for, I think it was a year, maybe two years at Automatic, which is the company that owns WordPress, founded by Matt Mullenweg. And I mean, most of the world's websites are powered by WordPress. And they've had a fully distributed company since its inception, meaning people don't go into the office regularly. At one point, they had a headquarters, which mostly sat empty. But if anyone wanted to come to San Francisco and go in the office, they could. But I mean, they built this company remotely from day one and have different teams for different projects that they're working on. And for Scott, this was a unique experience. I think he came from Microsoft, if I'm not mistaken, where he was Mm -hmm executive level or, or fairly high up, but came to automatic to lead a team. And there were some challenges with that. There are also some benefits as well. I mean, the year without pants suggests that he was, you know, working from home in his underwear or whatever. Um, and his team would get together for offsites. But my, one of my big takeaways from that, um, which I've actually applied to primarily my coaching, but I think other quote unquote projects in life. And I'll butcher the quote again, but it was like, you let the project define the plan. It's not the other way around. And I think in, we'll just use running coaching as an example. Oftentimes we'll put a plan in place first and try to apply it to a project. And really you've got to look at the project, you know, training for a race. And for me, this is a demand driven approach. All right. What are the demands of this event and how do we let those demands inform our approach, the plan that we put together to tackle this project. And I found that to be 
a really simple but profound concept, which, I mean, I read that book well over 10 years ago at this point, but I keep coming back to it. I have a post that I wrote some reflections on it that we can link to in the show notes of this episode, but I found that to be a really valuable book um, along the ideas of business. I'm a big fan of Yvonne Chouinard and Patagonia as a brand mm-hmm. and just his anti-businessman's approach to business. And he wrote a book called Let My People Go Surfing. Yep. And it's phenomenal. Um, I have a file of excerpts from that book on my laptop that I come back to taking a very, you know, process oriented approach, not thinking about, you know, target or destination. I mean, there's a quote in there. He's like, you know, like the Zen approach to archery, um, you know, you set, you set the target and then you focus on the process and it's, you know, simple, pithy, um, things like that, which I think are, are very profound. And I mean, they've clearly built a, a successful business that's, you know, profitable, but again, um, pretty humble man. I mean, he, you know, he lives fairly modestly and he's taken a lot of his wealth and contributed it to greater causes such as the environment. And I just have a lot of, you know, admiration for the business that he built. Yes. But also how he's used business for good. I love it. I love it. Um, fun fact I read The Alchemist every year on my birthday. I don't think I knew that about you. Yeah. Yeah. I love that book. Read it. I also alternate. So I read it in Spanish one year, then I'll read it in English the next year. Just go back and forth. Man, I got to brush up on my Spanish. Maybe that'd be a good way to do it. <laughs> uh, I, I'm due for a rereading of that book. I'll revisit it and, you know, just go to the, the sections that I know I want to reread again. But I think I need to do a front to back rereading of it one yeah, of these days. That's great. Maybe I'll do it in I Spanish it. just to just to brush up on my Espanol. I love it. Muy bien, muy bien. All right. Our next, speaking of Spanish, our next question comes from Germany. <laughs> So that was an interesting segue. <laughs> hey man, they 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 can't all be winners. Um so so Tamika, who's a 43-year-old runner based in beautiful Berlin, Germany. First of all, she wants to say that she really likes reading your newsletter and listening to your podcast, which is amazing. She thinks it's a valuable resource for so many people and she's just here for it. So she has a question for this AMA. Thanks, Tamika. She starts it off with a question. Running as a way of life. Running is a very important part of many people's lives. However, one should always ask oneself a question. Is it sustainable? Obviously, there will eventually come a point in a person's life when it won't be possible anymore to make progress, at least not in the sense of getting faster. So my question is, how to approach running so that it keeps making sense to train regularly? Is this a kind of approach that a person should adapt only after it becomes obvious that the PBs are not improving anymore? Or should it be adapted immediately? Can running really be a way of self-realization or is it merely a sport? with the purpose of keeping the body fit. It's like eight questions in there, but the short answer is any and all of the above. I mean, running means different things to different people, but the biggest thing is running can and should mean different things to a person over the course of their involvement with it. Um, It's a relationship and like any relationship, if you're in it long enough, it's going to evolve over time. I mean, speaking for myself, I got into running when I was in high school to keep in shape for basketball. And it lit my competitive fire right away. And that's still burning to this day, almost 25 years later. But the intensity of of that competitive fire has definitely gone up and gone down over the years. But I mean, over the course of of that time, it's become so much more than a competitive pursuit. I mean, for me, it's my primary form of physical exercise, how I take care of my body, increasingly so. It's how I take care of my mental health. And I have jokingly say, keep myself stable by getting out and running regularly. It's time for me to think um, through all manner of things going on in my life, problems that I'm trying to solve, situations I'm 
trying to navigate. It's a social outlet for me. It's an mm. excuse to get together with my friends from time to time, share some miles, catch up. Just happens to be, you know, we go running instead of going to the bar to grab a beer, whatever it happens to be. Um, it's a means of exploration. I, I love nothing more than to go to a, a new place, put on my running shoes and, and to go explore and, and see a place. Um, so, I mean, and, and I, it wasn't all of those things right away and it hasn't been all of those things all the time. I think it just evolves as you go through life and that's, that's healthy. I think that's a healthy relationship with something. And, you know, I've had points of my relationship with running that were unhealthy and I had to step away from it for mm-hmm. a while, take a break. And, and I'm glad that I was able to, to do that for me. That was in my, my early to mid twenties and stepping back and not partaking in it for a while, not racing, not training, not meeting up with people for a run. I mean, really helped me to just kind of reevaluate some things and and go back to it with a a fresh perspective, a healthier perspective. I think that's helped me to keep it sustainable over, you know, the past 15 or so years that's allowed me to stay healthy. Um, And so I hope that's a satisfying answer for Tomika. Yeah. Well, let me just ask you a follow question to that. I mean, because it's like, it almost sounds like it could be really reductive to be like, oh yeah, you just need to understand, you know, what's your why? Like, you know, why are you getting out there? But yeah, but running is so interesting because, I mean, we talk about it a lot, how it's just, you know, you can really see what's possible through the lens of running, whether it's, Mm -hmm. you know, like you mentioned it, uh, solo run, the solitude is great social run with a bunch of people in a pack that is a totally different experience it's also great there's so many ways to experience running and i guess i would ask you is well how how do you set up your relationship with running in such a way so that it kind of transcends the pbs and the race results and 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 these types of things i'm going to think out loud as i respond to no worries your question. I mean, I run almost every day. It's a habit at this point. It's a non-negotiable in a lot of ways. I mean, that said, I'm not, I'm not so attached to it that I can't take a day off. That happens, but I either, one, usually plan it ahead of time because circumstances aren't going to allow or it's just too much. Or, I mean, sometimes it's as simple as just being really tired and it's better for me to sleep in a little bit, but it's usually one of the first, you know, five things that I do every day is, is go for a run. And whenever I, I head out, I try not to do it mindlessly or aimlessly. I take a second to think about what it is that I want to get out of the run that day. I mean, some days it's just to, I mean, it's to get out because the dog needs some exercise and I'm doing my job as, mm-hmm. you know, a, a dog dad, um, to make sure that Tahoe gets the exercise that, that he needs. And that's motivation for me to get out the door. Cause otherwise I, I don't feel like it. Um, and it's time that we get to spend together and I've never regretted it afterward. I mean, some days it's to push myself and to, to improve and really to see what I have on that day, just to do something, do something hard. Other days it's just to get out on the trails, enjoy nature and not have much of an agenda other than to move my body and give my mind some space to think. Um, so I, I think it's, I think it's important to just be intentional and also not be hard on yourself if you don't think your intention is, is good enough. I mean, some days it's, I don't, I don't know, I'm just going out to going out to find out like what, what the day holds, you know, type of thing. So I don't know. Does that answer your follow-up? No. Just kidding. <laughs> Dig a little deeper then. No, no, because cause I, I guess what, what I'm looking for is, and maybe there isn't like a universal, that, I, mean, I, I mean, so maybe that is the answer. There isn't sort of some universal why that, you know, some pearl of wisdom that you can give all our listeners to be like, yeah, if you if you approach running in this way, you'll be able to transcend all of the, you know, the PBs and all this stuff and just run a happy life. I think from what I'm hearing you say, it's like, hey, it's just way more nuanced on that. And 
Um, well, it depends. I mean, that's the most unsatisfying answer in the world, but yeah. it's true. It's it's really it's really nuanced. It depends. It depends on the day. It depends yeah. where I'm at. Um, you know, we also know that running is something for you to realize its benefits, physical, mental, emotional, and otherwise. You have to stick with it. Some mm-hmm. days just suck. I mean, but I try not to get too high or get too low about a particular day, a particular run, um, a workout that goes south, a race that goes bad, as, as we just talked about. I mean, I've certainly mm-hmm. had periods where I have, sure. and and that's when I've realized I don't have a healthy relationship with, with those things. But um, I just take it one day at a time and try to keep an open mind and move forward in that manner. Yeah. No, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, our next question well, I should say now we're heading into everyone's going to start hitting you up with training questions because so put on your coach Mario hat here. So the next question comes from Gerard. He asks, what advice do you have for older runners to be able to keep running? I'm 58 years old and just got back into marathoning five years ago after taking a 27 year break. Woo. In 2018, I've ran seven marathons. <laughs> including Boston 2022. I have some Achilles pain the last couple of years, but not enough to stop me from running. What can I do to keep my body moving for many years to come and hopefully qualify for a few more Bostons? Thank you. I'd say number one, keep it enjoyable. So if it's not enjoyable, you're going to dread doing it. doesn't mean you're going to love it every day, but find something in that, whether it's chasing a PR, doing a certain race or staying healthy, uh, that's going to help keep it fun for you. Um, With aging runners, even those who've taken a long time away from the sport or getting into it at an older age, our bodies aren't 15 or 20, 25, 30 anymore. Oh, they're not. No. Um, So you really... I mean, every runner should be doing this, but have to take care of yourself and think of yourself as an athlete. Running, you're only going to be able to do it if the foundation is solid. So I think it's addressing your overall athleticism through strength training and moving in more than one plane of of motion. Um, so doing doing gym work. Um, you know, that can be heavy weights, but it can be, you know, body weights, plyometrics, that sort of thing. I mean, it's just going to make you a more robust athlete and you're going to be able to better tolerate the running that you would like to do. Two is prioritize recovery. Every runner should do that, but even more important as you get older. I mean, 20 years ago, you might've needed a day or two to bounce back between hard workouts. Now you might need like two to four days to bounce back between hard workouts. You might not be able to do quite as much and and that's okay. Again, this is an evolution, uh, just as our relationship with running changes. I mean, what we're able to do at any point in time is going to change as well. It doesn't mean as you get older, you're automatically relegated to doing less. I know some older athletes who can handle quite a bit of volume and and quite a bit of intensity, but they've built up to that over time. Um, But they also go about it in a very um, pragmatic way. So I think it's being careful about your recovery between key sessions. Um, This goes for any runner, but even more important as you get older, finish most of those key workouts feeling like you could do another one or two reps or you could go a little bit longer. That's going to allow you to come back tomorrow and keep that consistency going. I mean, speaking for myself in my early forties now, having been training pretty hard for close to 25 years, I can't do the higher end speed work that I used to do. It just takes too much. I can do it in much smaller doses and I've got to spread it out a lot more than I used to. That's just a, you know, an evolution for me. Um, you know, slowing down your easy days. Again, that's just going to allow you to run a little bit longer. It's going to allow you to recover a little bit better. Um, you know, all that stuff's going to, I think, lead to consistency, which is going to lead to improvement over time. Let me ask you a quick follow-up on that. Um, and this is kind of a callback to Starla from the Pillars of Performance mm-hmm. series, which if folks listening haven't checked that out, you definitely should. Shameless plug for that. Um 
do you think that as you get older, making sure, I mean, you should always make sure that your nutrition's dialed in and you have a plan for that. But do you think as you get older, that becomes even more important? Yeah, you, you read my mind. I mean, it, it certainly does. I mean, you just can't get away with as much as you get older. I mean, and that goes for the training, but it certainly goes for nutrition. I mean, you know, you can fill your tank with crap when you're young and still be able to train at a, a pretty high level and recover fairly well, but it'll catch up to you. I don't care who you are. I mean, we're all, we're all human beings. I mean, Starla talked a bit about this during our episode on the Pillars of Performance podcast. I think it's, you know, one, making sure that you're getting in enough calories. I mean, very fundamental thing. Two, mm-hmm. making sure as you get older that you are getting in the appropriate amount of protein each day um, because, you know, your muscles are, your muscles need it. I mean, you know, you're, you're not going to bounce back quite as quickly as you did when, when you were younger. So, I mean, that's a general recommendation for people as they age, but I think it's all the more important for athletes who are pushing their bodies hard is make sure that you know, you're getting enough protein in your diet as well as like overall calories and, you know, just be filling the tank with good gas. I think if you're, yeah. you know, as best you can, I mean, if you're putting cheap fuel in the tank, you're only going to get so far, but if you put good gas in the tank, you're going to, you're going to run better. Um, and I, I think again, like as you get older, you know, you can't get away with cutting corners. I mean, you've got to, you've got to dot your I's and cross your T's. Definitely. Definitely. All right. Our next question comes from Megan M and she asks, well, first she says, I love your podcast, which Thank you, don't we all, don't we all? And she is currently training for a marathon in mid-June in Washington State. So by the time this comes out, she might be listening to this while she's running it. I'm not sure. It starts at 2,500 feet of elevation with a gradual decline. This will be my third marathon and my last attempt at qualifying for Boston. Both of my other marathons have been at CIM and have slowly been progressing on my time 339 and then 333. And I was just wondering if you had any marathon tips for race day that could help me shave off those three minutes, mental or physical. Any help is appreciated. Thank you. I mean, the biggest element is mental. So you got to believe in your ability to do it. You got to go in with the mentality that it's going to happen and then race like it's going to happen. I mean, you've got to be smart about, you know, the pacing, nutrition, all that stuff of course. But I mean, as she described, she's on an upward trajectory. I mean, she's gotten faster, 339, 333, wants to go sub 330. So she's on an upward trajectory. She's made some big jumps already. So, I mean, to me, this is the next logical step. Yeah, of course, you're going to take off another few minutes. I mean, that that's what you do. You've put the work in for it. So, you know, just believing in your ability to do it. I mean, you know, not knowing anything else about her other marathons, except for the times that she's put up. I mean, I'd make sure you've got the pacing and the fueling aspects dialed, especially for a unique course like this. Um, that sounds like it's going to lose a a bit of elevation. I mean, that's not a gimme race by, you know, by any stretch. So you mm-hmm. got to make sure that, you know, you spread your effort out well over that course. Um, the nutrition aspect is huge too. Again, I don't know what she did the previous two marathons, but I found in my own training and racing and certainly for the athletes that I work with, I mean, that's such a, a huge piece. I mean, that can often be the difference between surviving the last 10 K of a marathon and like racing the last 10 K of a marathon is making sure that you're keeping your tank fairly well topped off throughout the entire race. Um, and then the last thing I would say is just, when it gets hard, embrace that. Say yes. Welcome it. Um, you're trying to go faster than you've ever gone before and qualify for Boston. There's nothing easy about that. If it were easy, I mean, why would you try to do it in the first place? So embrace the challenge. I mean, know that you've been sharpening your tools in training to work through those difficult moments, um, that it's not a, you know, it's, it's, not a sentence that your race is over when it gets hard. I mean, that's, that's what you trained for. You trained to work through those hard moments. Um, and that's, what's going to make the accomplishment meaningful. So I think it's just, I think it's not pushing that, pushing that away as well and, and not expecting it to be 
not expecting it to be easy, which, you know, sounds right. like duh. Um, but when you're, when you're in the heat of it, um, you know, the last thing most people want to do is keep pushing forward. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that just kind of got me thinking about it. It's like, yeah, I mean, the race, you can be all trained up, but the race really begins once it starts getting hard, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're feeling great for the first, you know, until you hit the wall or whatever it is, that's really when your race begins. And that's when you have to dig down, trust your training, Mm -hmm. believe in yourself and all these things. Um, Is there anything that you do when, when it gets hard like that, like any sort of mantras or anything that you sort of think about when, when it gets difficult? You know when it's happening. Oh um, yeah, so it's I, obvious. <laughs> I, I think it's it's having that self awareness that this is happening. This is getting hard, and not being surprised by it. I mean, I think I, that's that's the thing that kills me a lot of times is people seem to be surprised that it gets hard. And it's like no, this this is what we trained for. Um, and thinking back to those moments in training, those hard moments, because you should have them in your build up to the race. I mean, you can't expect to do something different on race day that you haven't done in, in training. So thinking about how you work through those tough moments in training and taking confidence from that being like, I've been here before. I know exactly what I need to do, what I need to tell myself. And usually for me, it's a, you know, it's, it's positive self-talk. I mean, that, that works for me. Some people maybe go to a negative place and it has a positive effect on them. For me, it's positive self-talk and being like, okay, like this is it. You're ready. You're ready for this. I embrace it. I don't try to push it away. And I had a coach in college assistant, Matt Wackerly told me just because you're hurting doesn't mean you're slowing down. So I think oftentimes in our brain, especially if we're low on calories, you get to those moments and you're like, I'm hurting. I must be slowing down. It's like, no, just because you're hurting doesn't mean you're, you're slowing down. It just means that the efforts harder or higher and you've just got to, you've got to stay on it and believe in your ability to maintain that to the very end. Right, right, right. All right. Our next question comes from Kelly. Uh, this is a long one. She says that she was diagnosed with a posterior tibial stress fracture late last year. Her orthopedist said it would take three to four months to heal, but it ultimately took seven months mm-hmm. for the fracture to close. That's a bummer. And now that she's been given a clearance to run, it's been very challenging. She's had odd sensations and feelings of tightness around the side of the fracture. And her question she'd like to ask is, how do you come back to running after stress fractures? And how do you feel what was okay to feel and what's not okay to feel while running? Did it take a while for your body to feel normal again once the fracture was healed or to still have some discomfort? Also, as you struggled with disordered eating, Mario, did you get back on track with that while injured without fear of body changes or gaining weight so that you could heal and not get another stress fracture? All right. Let's break this one it's up. a lot there. Yeah. Into a few pieces. Let's start with the Oh, and by the way, she fracture. thinks that underfueling may have been the cause of her stress fracture and the reason it took so long for it to heal. So that's an interesting no, factoid. I'm not surprised by that. It's very, It's very likely. I mean, that was certainly the case for me i mean part of the cause but also part of the reason why it took a while for mine to heal and and just for context i've had three stress fractures two uh on my sacral ala both sides and then one in my pubic symphysis which are not great places to get a stress fracture especially as a supposedly healthy young male but um number one if you haven't already Find a great PT who works with runners and can help you navigate the return to running. Because even after the stress fracture has healed, it is normal in many cases to feel sensations that you have a hard time making sense of. And I mean, your body can play tremendous tricks on your mind. You'll think that you've refractured it. Um, It may just be you know, angry soft tissue around the the area, scar tissue in the area um, that's restricting mobility. I mean, remember, you haven't moved your body for months. So, I mean, you're reintroducing this, this new stress and everything's kind of got to get back up to speed. And the timeline is different for everyone coming back. I mean, some people can get back to running and they just feel out of shape and uh, don't have any further issues where other folks, and I certainly fell into this boat, just have odd sensations that they don't know how to make sense of. But a good PT can help you to make sense of those sensations, but also can help you to make sure that you're doing, you know, in your particular case, the 
right type of rehab so that you can return to running safely. So, I mean, get a good PT in your corner. I think, I think that's number one, because otherwise you're not going to be able to get out of your own head about it. You're going to be asking for a follow-up MRI, which doctors don't like to give. And it's, you can see how you, you kind of fall down that, that whole rabbit hole. But I mean, it is normal to feel some sensations, but that's why I think it's important too, as you return to running, start very, very slowly take copious notes in terms of what you're feeling, how it changes from day to day, are things jumping around. Um, you learn to discern over time what's normal and expected and what will eventually go away versus what is problematic and you should be a little bit more cautious about. So I think you just have to be very patient in the return to running, but also just have someone in your corner who can you know, help you to navigate that because it's tough to do on your own, especially if you've never done it before. And I guess a follow up to that, since since you mentioned in her in her question that she thinks underfueling might have been an issue, do you think it makes sense to talk to like a nutritionist and yep. or kind of get that stuff sorted out to see if there are any sort of glaring deficiencies in someone's diet? Yep, hundred percent. I mean, if you haven't already, I think it's a good idea to get a DEXA scan. You know, check your bone density, make sure that it's in a it's in a good place. Talk to a nutritionist who can look at what you were doing nutritionally leading up to the stress fracture, and maybe they can connect some dots and see if that may have contributed. But I mean. You know, this person mentioned that it took a lot longer for the stress fracture to heal than they were originally told. I mean, you know, body doesn't just heal on its own. On its own, you have to nourish it. So, if you weren't nourishing yourself well during that recovery period, it makes sense that it would take longer to heal. Um, but even coming out of it, I mean, even more important to double down on that, you know, make sure that you're fueling your body well and giving it what it needs so that, you know, it can recover, but also so that it can like really fortify itself for, to prevent against future instances of, of injuries like, like this. Yeah. Yeah. So the last part of her question was sort of, you know, disordered eating and at that was that magnified or minimized when you were injured coming back and how did you sort of deal with that and what advice do you have around that? In my particular case, I was definitely dealing with disordered eating leading up to and through the first two stress fractures. I got my act together after that and started fueling myself a lot better, but I had done a lot of a lot of damage. So when I got the third stress fracture in my pubic symphysis, I actually was was eating really well. My bone density was good, all of all of that. Um, but I had done, you know, I had done some damage previously and it came back to bite me. It was definitely connected to that. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to say like that happened in 2009 and knock on wood. I mean, here we are 14 years later. I, I have not had an injury that's kept me out of running since then, stress fracture or, or otherwise. And I think a big contributor to that, two big contributors to that one, um, just fueling myself better and revisiting my relationship with food and body image and over time working to get it to a much healthier place. Uh, and I know that's a struggle for a lot of people, but being able to do that has saved me a lot of trouble <laughs> over the last 14 mm -hmm. years. The second part of that has to do with the training itself. I mean, I was just doing stupid shit <laughs> and, and doing stupid shit while not taking care of myself yeah. and my body. And those two things don't go together. I mean, as we were saying a little while ago, like I got away with it to a degree cause I was, I was younger, but I mean, I was so, uh, I, I was so far, I was so far off. I mean that, I mean, I, I literally broke. I mean, I just, I broke. I mean, I was, I was severely under fueling myself, um, and trying to do too much from a training standpoint. And those two things don't, don't go together. So I think, you know, also if you have a propensity for injuries, especially stress related ones, whether you have issues with disordered eating or not, look at your training and, and what you're doing and maybe you need to build in some more cross training. Maybe you need to pay attention to your strength. Maybe you need to work on your mechanics. I mean, all of these things can contribute. It's never one thing and it varies from person to person. So I think it's trying to understand, you know, what may have contributed to it. Yeah, like uh, Coach Stu says, who we're both big fans of, it's a complex system. Yep. Got to get Coach Stu on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be one for the second half of the year. I'll work on that. 
For sure, for sure. All right. Our last question, so sad, comes from Eric from Arkansas. Really appreciate Eric telling us where he's writing in from. So he says, sadly, if you wadded up all of my fast twitch muscle fibers, it'd be about the size of the period at the end of the sentence. <laughs> Ugh. I cross my fingers every speed work Tuesday that I'm, rec- <laughs> that I'm recruiting more. Alas, my Temple Fridays and long run Sundays seem to default to be a fairly plodding pace. Are there specific workouts, central nervous system training, proven effective for recruiting more fast switch fibers? Chat GPT keeps telling me to just keep doing what I'm doing so our <laughs> robot overlords still stink as running coaches. Advice? Well, <laughs> that's a great, great question. Great. So and, good. And funny, too. I, I appreciate the humor contained therein. Um I mean, you have to work on it. There are ways that you can do that in running. Sprinting is a good way to recruit fast twitch fibers, but it's also a high-risk activity, so you got to be careful. I think doing short hill sprints is a is a good way to recruit more muscle fibers while keeping the velocity down. I usually like to start people there. Um, back to some of what we were talking about earlier with older athletes, but I think this certainly applies to folks who don't have very many fast twitch muscle fibers work on your overall athleticism. I mean, you know, you can do some of that through different types of strength training, but then just doing plyometrics, doing some drills, working on, you know, improving ground contact time. I mean, just again, recruiting more fast twitch muscle fibers. We all have them. Um, you know, some of us have more than others. Some of us can tap into it more than others, but it can, it can be developed and it takes time you know, and, and I think you need to give yourself that time. And if it's, you know, if you're someone who is predominantly more slow twitch, or, I mean, this is a common case as well, that type of work that recruits fast twitch muscle fibers takes a lot out of you because it is very demanding on a neuromuscular level. Make sure you're building in enough recovery. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he mentioned how just kind of plodding through the next workout or or tempo run, you might just need more time to recover from the the speed work, you know, and it, and it's not just, you know, it's not just like speed work and going to the track. Yes, that can help like just doing the, the intervals, but I would even, you know, build in some like non-specific stuff like hill sprints, like plyometrics, like drills. Um, you know, those are, are good non-specific ancillary things that any runner can do to just help, make sure that the neuromuscular system is engaged, that, you know, you are working on, on those elements, um, and doing it in a, in a fairly like safe and and methodical way. I mean, I think too many people just jump into intervals and run them too hard and you're not really Mm -hmm. recruiting fast twitch muscle fibers at that point. You're just, you know, you're just going anaerobic, uh, and (laughs) trying yourself out yeah, and (laughs) trying to hang on. Well, cause then what happens is you, you wear yourself down, and then you're not recruiting fast twitch muscle fibers anymore because you've kind of maxed yourself out early on. So I think doing the the drills and the plyos and the strength work in in small doses um, can really help to recruit those fast twitch muscle fibers. And as as they develop, that's going to translate into your workouts. Your interval sessions are going to get better, probably get a little bit faster. You're going to become more efficient at those tempo runs. You know that you know that sort of thing. So. Um, you know, give it time, um, give yourself enough time to recover after, you know, recruiting those fast twitch muscle fibers and yeah, that's all I got. I'll take that chat GPT. Um, let me ask a follow-up question to that. So it sounded like Eric was saying he does like a track workout, then he has a tempo run Mm -hmm. and then he has a long run. So pretty standard fair running workout is, and you mentioned spacing, if you are trying to actively recruit, like get faster, recruit more fast switch muscles or whatever, what should a spacing look like? If, if, if you're maybe worried less about, you know, maybe your long slow day, but you're trying to spend more attention on getting fast, like what, what, what would a typical week look like and how would you space those workouts out? Yeah. I'd take a period of time where you're not training for a, an event specifically. Cause it's, it's hard to really like improve this while you also have this other objective of being ready for half marathon, marathon, whatever it happens to be. So, you know, take your, your off season, your preseason, whatever you want to call it as you're building mileage and maybe not doing those tempo runs, not doing those track workouts, um, and having those key sessions be short sprints, short hills, 
plyos, drills, like drills and hills are a great workout to do. I mean, you can find that on the morningshakeout.com, one of the workouts of the week. I mean, drills and hills are a great way to recruit fast twitch muscle fibers um, because, you know, the drills themselves doing various types of skips, fast feet, um, high knees, butt kicks, you know, that's that sort of thing. It's very, very isolated. They happen in small doses so you can recover in between. I mean, that is going to help recruit fast twitch muscle fibers, finish up with, you know, some short hill repeats, you know, running them at or near max intensity, but focusing on your form and mechanics, taking plenty of time to recover in between. I mean, that's not a specific workout that's necessarily going to, you know, translate to faster half marathon pace or whatever it happens to be, but it is going to recruit more fast twitch muscle fibers. And as a side benefit, I think months down the road, like your half marathon pace, you know, mm-hmm. should improve just because, you know, you are going to be, you know, more efficient. You're going to be recruiting more, you know, more muscle fibers than you were previously. But I think right. you almost have to like work on this stuff in isolation or during a period of time during the year where you don't have anything else going on because it's tough to do it effectively. I think when you're trying to do everything else and you're trying to hit the track workouts, you're trying to hit the tempo runs, um, it almost becomes too much and you can't really recover well from any of that. So it's like you're, even though the intention's good, you're kind of half-assing everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kind of like spend some time to just, you know, quote unquote, get stronger, become a stronger runner. Yeah. Like, and then when you go into your training plan, then you, that just kind of carries over and you take that with you. Yeah. Just a stronger, more athletic runner. I mean, just a, a stronger, more well-rounded athlete, um, you know, rather than just, rather than just doing something that is mostly slow twitch and aerobic. I mean, you got to spend time on it. You certainly do. <laughs> and that's it. We did it. We did it. That is it for the last episode of the first half of 2023. It was fun to do an old school AMA with you, Chris. It's been a for while sure, since we've we've done one of these. Maybe we'll do one more at the end of the year, but we're going to have a series of great interviews that I'm getting lined up. Um, I don't think we'll do another Pillars of Performance series necessarily, but um, I'll have a lot more conversations in that vein. I'm going to bring on some other coaches. Um, I'm really excited about a few of them that I, I have lined up some within running, some within athletics, but not necessarily distance running and some outside of running altogether. Um, but I think there are some great lessons that we can all impart from these folks. So I'm excited to have some of those conversations second half of this year. Awesome. Looking forward to it. All right, that's it for this one. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen in. If you could, please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you're tuning into this from. It means a lot to me, and it helps new listeners to discover the show. Also, a big thank you to my annual partners, Tracksmith, New Balance, Precision Fuel and Hydration, and Gooder for making it possible. Check out themorningshakeout.com slash partners to take advantage of some of the discount codes and special offers that are available exclusively to readers and listeners of The Morning Shakeout. Before we go, I'd like to give a couple more quick shout-outs. The first to John Summerford, who has edited and produced every episode of the podcast since we launched it in late 2017. He's the reason this show sounds as good as it does week in and week out. The second goes to Chris Douglas, who is my right-hand man and helps manage partner relationships. And last but not least, Nicole Bush, who gives me a hand with social media content strategy and creation and is my co-host for Training Talk Thursday, which you can tune into on Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Morning Shakeout's Instagram account, which you can find at the AM Shakeout. And that's all I've got. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast.